You're listening to the Thinkers What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary, and today, Richard Todd, founder and president of Todd Transit. He's been in the Rockford area for about 45 years. Also, my father, Richard, welcome to the What Works podcast. Thank you so much. So when did you break off and start Todd Transit? I left Todd, I, I, I left Emory Air Freight. I worked there probably from 1965, 66 until 1973. What was the what was the impetus to start your own? I mean, it was the and and you know like I talk to people nowadays well, who start sure. a trucking company. They buy a truck and now they have a trucking company. And that's what I, mean, I did, and I never there? drove a truck before. <laughs> really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had my own office in Rockford. I had my own drivers that came out from O'Hare every day. I was the area salesman. And at that point, the customers out here said, you don't need to come see us every month. Well, for the company, I had to fill out reports and say I was calling on them once a month. Most of the customers said, you don't need to come. We got a problem, we'll call you. Mm -hmm. Um, It reached the point where I was so comfortable in the job that I thought, you know, you're capable of a lot more than this. So why don't you go and start your own business? In the interim, I had heart surgery that I had, that I needed, and uh, it was after that that I made the choice to change. So you started out with one truck. Mm-hmm. Did you have a company or a contract kind of in your hip pocket that if you bought a truck, you had it in, or did you have to, you bought the truck and then had to get out and get business? I had potential customers that offered to go to the Commerce Commission and testify that they needed more truckers to give the immediate urgent-type service that I would provide for air freight only. And I started just hauling air freight Rockford to Chicago. How how long was trucking regulated? Through what years? 1980-something. I can't give you a date anymore. Sure. So yeah. mid-80s mid or something like that? Mm-hmm, yeah. What what changes did you see after it, become de, after it became deregulated? Well, once it became deregulated, it wasn't just trucking that was deregulated. They deregulated the bus lines. They deregulated the airline, deregulated airlines. And the number of carriers in both, you just saw a drop drastically. Really? Yeah. And the big guys. But what it did was it it opened the market for people like myself to get into the market without any authority. Uh, if you, for example, had a cousin working over at a, a factory down the road, and he said, hey, Jay, I'll give you all my freight if you're, you're here, that would take it away from somebody else. And that's why the regulation was there, to keep order so that everybody had equal footing if you lived close to a city or if you lived rural. It was all regulated. So it was regulated to sort of a, out of a convenience or necessity to make sure that all areas were covered properly uh, and that whoever was providing the service was... Um, compensated. Had, w- sure, compensated fairly for, for the effort and also was probably of sufficient quality for their service delivery. Yeah, that's true. It, it was public convenience and necessity. It hmm. started with the Railroad Act of 1935 when the railroads were passing out um, freebies to everybody. If you give me your freight, we'll give you tickets to ride the, the train. Hmm. 
and they were burying themselves in so doing. They were getting more passengers wanting to ride free <laughs> than the freight that they were getting. Sure. Yeah. So this was simply an outgrowth. The Motor Carrier Act was an outgrowth of the uh, Railroad Act. Gotcha. So you started in 73. They deregulated in the late 80s or mid-80s. And you said all of a sudden, and, but it, it allowed people like you to to move in without expertise, but you've already been doing it for like 15 years. So wouldn't that have been, did deregulation hurt you as your company or help you? Well, you know, that was a big question at the time. It allowed us to go anywhere. Yeah, but could you develop enough traffic to go two directions or could you just get there and not have anything <laughs> to bring back? You know, and so it led to this whole idea of uh, backhaul rates. And I'll oh, get just right. enough revenue on that truck to get home. No, see, I'm not in well, the back, trucking. But no, no, that's Explain a, to me what backhaul rates are. The backhaul is uh-huh. I went out here with a delivery. Now i got to get back home, and so I need a backhaul, something in that truck. It's like an airplane that travels you know, to, to right. some place, and it's full, but they got to get the plane back. So you, there's nobody so, leaving that. Place. So the backhaul rates are typically lower, right? Right. You're just trying to get some money so you can go home. Exactly. Ah, yeah. And at deregulated rates across the board, uh, which meant anybody who could buy a truck could, could compete with you. Right. There was free entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like if you wanted to open a barbershop, you could open a, open a trucking company. Prior to that, you had to get authority. One from the states on intrastate travel, point to point in the state. And if you wanted to go interstate between states, you needed the Interstate Commerce Commission to give you authority. Some of that authority back in the day when I started was uh, extremely regulated to the point that it was route route, uh, special only. I could pick up in Rockford and travel on highways such and such up to Beloit and then over across uh, Wisconsin over to Delavan on Route 15 or whatever and back, but I couldn't go just any particular place in that area. Then there was irregular route authority, (laughs) which allowed you, like this paper, anywhere in that you can just freely travel. How did you, so did people who had been at it longer or had better connections get the irregular route authority or did you have to work your way up to that? It was a matter of who you knew and who who would support you. Mm-hmm. Sure. And back in that day, uh, it wasn't uncommon for the good old boys to buy their freight from traffic managers with here's keys to my cabin or here's whatever, you know, color TV delivered to your house. Paid play. Yep. <laughs> Lots wow. of that. Yeah. So from that standpoint, that got rid of that part of the... It did. Mm-hmm. It did. Yep. And it was the Motor Carrier Act in 1935. I forget what the uh, date of the Railroad Act was. Yeah. Hmm. Now, if I'm if I'm recalling right, <clears throat> trucking... Uh, trucking was not something I think maybe that you were looking at getting into when you were 
um, let's say, are we looking lab? looking into your future? <laughs> <laughs> well, the computer thing is to me is fascinating <laughs> because we're talking that's the beginning of computers, like well, punch cards and all that. Yeah, good stuff. What, what were you looking getting into when you uh, before trucking? What was your what was on your mind? Before trucking, at the beginning, getting out of school, I wanted to be an English teacher. That's what I went to college with my eyes set on. Yeah. I left my sweetheart back in Oak Park. I got sick. It gave me a reason to say, hey, I'm out of here. <laughs> my friends were going to Vietnam if they weren't in college. Yeah. And I wasn't a candidate for the service. They wouldn't allow me. Yeah. So I, I kind of had a free ride on that and... I just needed a job, yeah. and I got Allied Van Lines as a job. Yeah. And then at school, the request from two air forwarders needing help at O'Hare. And so I got slotted into that, and then seeing what they do, and in the independence of an agent operating for them in a given city, I thought, now that'd be slick. When did you hire your first person? 1973. Well, no, you, you, you started the company in 73, and it was you doing yep. the trucking. But you had by, in, in the same year, you actually brought more people on board? I, I got into it with my wife and a partner. My okay. partner was in Chicago, mm -hmm. and it felt like, you know, two people in the boat. If the boat's starting to go down, it's not as terrible <laughs> as if you're the only guy going down. That's <laughs> still somebody to look at. So as we talk about getting into business... I strongly recommend <laughs> don't take a partner, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, that lasted six months, and uh -huh. we just had different goals. Yeah, It's good advice. It's excellent advice. Thank you. If you can do it yourself, you definitely do it yourself. My yeah. wife is one partner, you know. It's... <laughs> Three's a crowd. <laughs> so... So you you've got uh, you've got your partner that lasted six months. Didn't you also, if I'm if if I'm remembering correctly, you had a gas station at one point in time. Well, there was what was a, that about? There was a gas shortage in 1974, and you saw maybe you saw the lines and remember the. It's because every car was like, of cars lined up for well, blocks. Yeah. Well, it's because every car was like a Plymouth Duster and got like seven miles per gallon. Right? <laughs> well, that's not why. <laughs> it was only part of it. Okay. <laughs> that that whole thing came along after we realized that hey, we can have our fuel supply shut down by mm -hmm. foreigners. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's how that developed. Yeah. But we took a gas station so that we'd have gas, or. And at that time, it was gas. I bought an old Ford, and sometimes it makes so much noise, backfiring coming up US-20 at <laughs> through Marengo that you say, oh, boy, what am I doing oh, here? Yeah, yeah US-20, too. <laughs> you know, the, the two-lane highway? Oh, That's that right. must have been a long drive every day. It wasn't bad. <laughs> it wasn't bad. You, you wave through Garden Prairie every day. So you, so when... when um, now, it, wasn't, it was shortly after that, then, that you're now starting a family, too. We started a family prior to me starting I was 77. So, okay. So that Sherry was, I was 69. Been, all right. So she's, she's been, she was around. I had heart surgery in 72. Mike was around. He, had sur he, he was born 
six weeks or something like that before I had started before I had surgery. Wow. Yeah. And it was after I had surgery that I said, you know, you're capable of more than this. Truly, God must have saved you for something. It must be to go into business. <laughs> you go, maniac. God needed more truckers, right? <laughs> uh, that's you an did, interesting way to get into business. That's yeah. exactly you had, right. You did the whole CB radio, right? What was your What was your handle? I didn't have a handle. Uh, oh, come on. Uh, no. <laughs> No, we did the CB radio too. Oh man, it was terrible. <laughs> so you, so all all during this time, you're raising, you've got three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mom's working in the business, mm-hmm. uh, and employees, business partners being exited, or partner being exited, uh, a gas station that. I never knew the gas station. Oh, I'm sorry. You would have enjoyed it. I'm sure I would have. <laughs> it was an old Amico station on Charles Street in Shaw. And it was across from um, Fisher's Appliance. And next door was Highland Lumber. And today, Taco John's or somebody's over across the street. Is that building still there or is it long gone? Yeah, the building is gone. Okay. Yeah. But we bought that and put in um, inside buttons so that people could come in. We'd turn on the pump from inside. They'd come in and pay. My office lady would take their money and dispatch at the same time. It was (laughs) quite a hoot. And the great part was there was probably a three-inch gap between the glass windows and the roof or the ceiling of the building. But Amico was good enough to sell us the oil that heated it (laughs) (laughs) and with our two cent margin or whatever it was it almost paid the rent and the heating bill but we had fuel so when did you get rid of that Hmm. can't tell you can't tell you Mm mm-hmm at the end, as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Once the gas shortage went away, so did the gas station. Once that gas shortage was over, we moved. And yeah, <laughs> because we grew from two trucks to five, and we couldn't maintain, it didn't have enough parking out back for us to keep it. Was there one sp- uh, particular client company that you signed that grew you from two to five? or That's a no. pretty big jump there. It really was. But back in that day, uh, we'd pull into customers, and they've had they would have multiple shipments for multiple carriers. This was before uh, Federal Express and UPS in their air freight cargo business changed the landscape completely. That that whole thing just dropped immensely. So you were just taking everything. We'd pick up, well, we'd pick up twenty twenty shipments a night at some of these people, fifteen twenty shipments a night. Yeah, and then it would drop to eight or maybe ten. So when did the UPS Federal Express era kind of start? Well, Federal Express started when I was yet at Emory. Okay. Back in seventy, and um, we all looked at it and said, "This guy Fred Smith going to fly all these airplanes back down to Tennessee at one place." I mean, it doesn't even make sense, does it? Well, it made a lot of sense, didn't it? <laughs> the corporate idea was, this isn't going to last. Well, interesting how 
different things come along that we have no idea <laughs> of. I remember UPS came to Rockford, I think around 92, 93. I just remember that was a big deal. No, when it UPS was. came to, to Rockford was. Airport. Yeah. Um, and when they did, we we handled freight from forwarders in Chicago out to them so that they didn't have to run their truck out because UPS didn't want all these different carriers coming over there. We also had to pull out, out on the apron by the planes, and they'd unload us out by the plane because we'd build the container and everything. If you're familiar with containers that go in aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've been through... A lot of change, tremendous right? amount of change. Yeah, a yeah. lot of a lot of change, and yeah. and some decision, you know, some decisions that you had control over, and then some life events and circumstances you don't have control over, mm-hmm. and then all sorts of business things like FedEx and UPS entering and and deregulation, all these things. At each one of those critical junctures, you've got to make some sort of decision. Mm-hmm. I would think. What what process do you ha- do you have or has what what has changed maybe even in your process? For decision making, um, that you that you do now that you didn't do before, or uh, maybe that you did before that you found successful. Well, we have to go back to the beginnings of the company. I, as I say, I started this uh, strictly with ego. I can do this. <laughs> I had to. I had to prove something to myself that I could do this. Uh, six months, eight months after I started the Commerce Commission called me into their Chicago office, sent me a letter and said they wanted to talk to me. And I went in and took the bus, and a fellow in there said, you know, every day that you continue to do business, if I investigate you, will be a $10,000 fine and or a year in prison because you don't have the authority to be doing what you're doing. We did through a lease arrangement with another company that I knew from my days at Emory. Uh, they collected the money. Their uh, their authority was on the sides of the trucks. My name was on the truck. We sold it as Todd Transit. Um, I had <laughs> truly, truly, it all you know. I don't care what you're doing in life. It doesn't matter what your venue is and what what your gig is. Uh, Somewhere along the way, you find out you can't do it all yourself. And even through heart surgery, I mean, we cried and all kinds of stuff for that year prior to surgery. A burdened hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, you got to question what's going on here. But they said if I didn't have the surgery, I probably wouldn't live to be 30. So something had to happen. And I made it through heart surgery, like I say, and I said... God must have saved me for something. Must be to go into business. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. We changed churches, went to a new church, and I heard things that I never heard before. And two of the questions were really penetrating. They visited us in our house, a couple, three people, and they said, if you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven, Dick? And I said, hmm, rubber road hits the road, question. Yes, 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 I, I think I would. Well, that's great. We like to hear that. Well, if God said, why should I let you in? What would you say? And I said, well, I guess because if that much depends on me, I'm not going to make it. And they had 
preached on Romans, and for the first time in my life I heard that uh, grace, you're saved by grace, and not something you do. And first time in my life somebody said, it doesn't matter about you, Dick. It's what do you believe? And that was total freedom. So I was driving the car down the road the next day, going over to W.A. Whitney to make a sales call, and I told God in the car, I said, you know, apparently there's something here I don't understand. I mean, I was raised in the church. I was a son of a deacon and pretty religious family, did all the right things. But this idea of Christ as your Savior just kind of just grated a little bit at me. And I, I told God that day, I said, you know, if there's something here I don't understand, and it means having Christ as my Savior, then that's what I want because I want to do life your way, not mine. Up till that point, I could see Everything I was doing was my way, and somewhere that has to change. And so every step of the of the road, I, when I was on the bus um, going to Chicago to see that guy at the Commerce Commission, I said, you know, God, I've fought the Illinois Commerce Commission. I've uh, had the IRS come and audit me because so much money was going out on repairs on this old truck that I got. They didn't like the, the percentages. It bounced it out, and I found out I have to pay for this kind of insurance and that kind of insurance, all kinds of things I had no idea I was going to run up against. And I simply told God in the, in the, on the bus, I said, you know, I've hit something here I can't handle, and I guess uh, if it's going to go forward, then that, that makes you the senior partner. You'll have to do it, not me. And when he, when he told me what I was going to have to do, um, give it up, make it, make it legal. And see, the guy told me, he says, uh, if I investigate you, just make it legal, okay? I walked into a church in downtown Chicago waiting for my bus, and it had a little chapel off to the side of a sky-rise building. And I walked in there and read the Bible, prayed a little bit, talked to God, Came out of there feeling like the weight of the earth was on my off my shoulders, convinced that, okay, we've done it. I've proved to myself I can make this thing run. I can make a deal. Uh, I can successfully run my own company. And it's okay. We're done. And came home, told my wife that. And we talked about going into missions uh, with a church organization. I went into work the next day, and the phone rings at... Uh, 9.15 in the morning. I had a red phone because this was important, right? <laughs> That's when the phone was red? <laughs> yeah. The president's phone was red. I had a red phone. <laughs> I used to play on that phone. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> we still pulled a, a joke at Jefferson football games, like to new uh, administrators. We'll, you know, up in the booth, we'll go, uh, you know, Principal X, there's a coffee on a red courtesy phone. And watch these people walk around the football field. Where's the red courtesy phone? <laughs> it still works, even though that phone's been gone for 10 years. I picked up the phone, and the voice at the other end says, Mr. Todd, this is so-and-so at the Commerce Commission. But uh, first of all, i got to tell you, I'm sorry, sir. But I made a mistake. And I'm thinking, i got a bureaucrat apologizing to me and saying he made a mistake. That doesn't happen. What's coming? And he says, but I called Washington yesterday, and you can go on doing what you're doing forever if you want. And when the word forever 
hit. Now, I'm sorry you made a mistake and do this forever. Hair stood up on my arms, my neck's ever. You just said, this is incredible. So I knew where I was supposed to be. That made all the difference in the, in the world, knowing where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. I mean, I interview people for a job or customers or whatever, and you maybe talk about, so what would you really like to do in life? What's your plan five years from now? People don't know. They haven't thought about it. They don't, they're not grounded. People leave families, they buy boats, they do all these things looking for something that's going to be satisfaction for them. And then they find out that's a dead-end street I don't, because they don't know who they are and why they're there. And so I'm pretty peaceful where I am in spite of all the, <laughs> all the travesties and travails that come <laughs> along on a daily basis and still sitting there at 71 years old. <laughs> Wasn't my plan. It's not my plan. That's the thing. It's not my plan. God's given me this, and I'm supposed to be there. And to make a decision on something, I've had uh, issues with some of my help sometimes. My Chicago guys were all upset with me. One of them was almost in tears one time when we had to make a change in locations in Chicago, and I wouldn't okay it. Well, you just don't care about us. You treat us like second-class citizens. I got more to lose than any of you. But it's just not right. And when you know what's right for you, you move on it. And when you don't, you don't. It's pretty simple. This issue that came up last week uh, where we felt we had a conflict of interest in the company. What are you going to do? Are you going to feel bad about it? Yeah, I felt bad about it. Can I keep from letting it really eating us up? And so Mike and I just had to look at each other and say, you know, if God still owns the business, then he's going to take care of it, and off we go. I've always done that. It's hard. It's real hard sometimes. Does that answer your question? Well, you know, some people talk about process. You've just talked about it. You just have faith. Faith There's is a process be some pro- well, of life. Yeah. Isn't there some decision-making yes or no's? Yeah. That you have to you have to Certainly. like write out on paper and weigh pros and cons. Oftentimes, no. You know what's right here. Generally, we have a compass in us that tells us what's right and what's not right. On occasion, we'll have, should we do this or that? A prime example was would be when we decided, when I decided we're going to the Quad Cities. And I had a um, consultant come in, and he looked at everything. He says, why are you going to Quad City? Did you do any research? Uh, <laughs> look at the business they're in. Is, is it Madison? Why wouldn't you go to Madison instead of Quad Well, my daughter was at uh, Augustana in Quad Cities, and it was part of my sales territory as Emory. <laughs> and I thought, well, I know some people down there. Ah, the black swan. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> A friend of mine bought a radio station in Florida, and I asked him why. He goes, "Well, my daughter was going to Florida State. I wanted a reason to go down and visit her." So, did the uh, did that did that did that pay off? No. <laughs> in fact, my safety director at the time looked at me. He says, "Dick, did you pray about this?" 
And I looked at him and said, shut up. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I just made one of those decisions that I thought, oh, that'd be a good reason. I had a general manager that was like a brother to me, and he's still a good friend. He would ask me a question, oftentimes at night, just before going home. And he's, stop, don't answer me. Don't give me a knee-jerk reaction. Think about it. Tell me tomorrow. So often we feel like we have to have an answer right now. Seldom do we have to have the answer right now. It gives us time to reflect. It gives us time to sit there and talk to God about it and say, is this right or isn't this right for me? So I guess my question would be to Jason. So in terms of your decision-making process, what have you learned from him? Oh, man. That's a great question. I'd like to say that I inherited the some of that. I'm not sure if I inherited delay in some of that. Um or not. Sometimes I feel like I delay too much. I think you're more bold. <clears throat> I might. I'm probably am more I'm probably more bold, probably more calculating. Only cuz I enjoy that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um like it, it it excites me. Um mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that. But you're also very deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, we can, we can sit down and have some excellent discussions and I'll learn from him. That's another beauty of what we've had with this company. We've learned from a lot of people, and they've learned from us. It's been, I asked God, after I became a Christian, I asked God for my own church, and he gave me this business. <laughs> I had guy, there was a guy who was a, a good friend of mine. I was helping him out with his church, and he said, I'm, I'm, um, I, I said, well, you're going to treat this thing like a startup and really double down because you're burning yourself out. a group out. out in Seattle, right? No, totally different else? one. Okay. And and he's and he's a pastor and and he was really struggling with it. And I said, Well, if you're yeah. I said if you're if your heart is really to meet people, uh the probably the best way to do that is um this opportunity you have in front of you, which is to own a car lot. Because people will come in and out right. all the time. Absolutely. And and uh they won't stay. <laughs> but when you do service then they'll make they come back. And I said, You'll have a whole you'll have a bigger church than you ever thought possible. If you, if you have a car, a car lot, and it's worked out swimmingly for him. We have something to offer almost everyone that we meet, and that's the beauty of my company. We meet so many people. And just an apt word here or there. Scripture says something about being prepared to give an account of your faith in season and out. And... Out. and What's the season? Every season's a season, and every opportunity you take is, that's what you're here for. At least how, that's why I'm here. How big is Todd Transit today? Oh, we're 74, 75 people. Okay. Three offices, and then another smaller company, Todd Special Services, that does warehousing and expedited delivery. Pretty good growth story. Mm -hmm. And you're 71 now? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, you don't look like it. Thanks. I hope I you don't could. look like I'm 81. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, you could retire, right? What's, have you thought about that? A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That brings you into another whole dimension of you were, I was given this gift, this 
business as a gift. I was told to close it down. I was told I was illegal. Remarkably, the next day, this gentleman is calling me and telling me, here you are. It's yours forever if you want. And you go, oh my gosh. Does that mean it's anybody's forever? I don't know. What do I do with it? I, I, I'm a steward of it. I, that's the way I have to look at it. I'm a steward of that, of the assets. So I, I don't know when I'm free to leave and when I'm not free to leave. So you're waiting for another sign. I'll know. Yeah, I know what's holding me there right now, too. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm advised constantly by some friends that we know you and Linda. We want to see you get out of there. We want to see you enjoy life and for your, for your stress levels and all that. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, they, they retire, particularly business guys. If they don't have something to go to, maybe six months and they're dead. Mm-hmm. So I don't have anything to go to right now. When I have something to go to, I'll be gone. I'd, I'd been sent a book years ago when I still at the newspaper called The Retirementality. And it was by a writer who just basically said that men will retire three or four times before they actually retire. Oh, true. Because they'll, you know, they love golf. But when golf is your job for six months, you're like, well, I want to go do something else, right? Nice. Golf's fun when it's, you know, your your get your escape, right? Yeah. Well, this has been very, uh, very interesting and eye opening. <laughs> well, it's been interesting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always I have great respect for you and appreciate um, appreciate our chats. All the time. This is interesting. That it, you know, it's fascinating. No, here's fun that we can but talk. If a somebody's listening to it, they're going to wonder about the heart condition because we never talked about. Oh, it. the heart condition. Yes. Yeah, so, wow, what exactly that's... were you facing back in 1973? Well, when I was born, I was facing imminent death. Mm-hmm. When I was four years old, I couldn't walk up four stairs without. I, I, that's that's it. All my hands and lips and were blue, and I was known as a blue baby. Okay. Um, four different, five different heart defects. And a gentleman came along that said, I think I can help him. And he managed to route an artery from my left arm, from my heart to my lungs, to get me more oxygen. Most of the kids in that era died before that, or when we hit our teens, they died in their teens as your body would grow a lot. I didn't. I I kept going back every six months and then a year when I hit 16 probably. And when I was 25, they said, if you don't have, we can fix this now. And if you don't have it now, we don't give you five years. And a year ago, my heart was going 210 one afternoon. And my wife was putting a checkbook in the drawer. And I said, take my pulse, would you? She says, you're going to the doctor. You're going to the hospital. I said, I think I feel a little better. (laughs) <laughs> I inherited that from him as well. No, I'm I'm pretty good. No, things That's are fine. Right. You're going to the doctor, and uh, they they were able to stop it to get it get it set right. And I, uh, long story short, I ended up going to Mayo's, and they have a division of cardiology called adult pediatric cardiology, which. Guys my age and younger 
have had surgeries now, and we follow them, but odds are the younger guys are going to need surgery now two, three times more just because of the changes in your body. So they did some fantastic work on mine, putting in this and that and ablating part of it so that it doesn't go crazy and race off 200. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm in better physical shape with my heart than I have ever been in my life. <laughs> it's that's amazing. Another, that's another it's sign. Amazing. Keep it, working. It's ama- If I look back on my life, it's a total system of miracles. All these things that never should have happened. And if I at one point looked back and said, you know, five years, if this hadn't happened, that wouldn't have happened, and this. And you could just take signposts and looking back, what's led to what and how did we get here? It's very interesting if you're taking the time to say, you know what? I really believe God does lead my life, not me. I want to lead it. That's the ever-present problem. Well, Richard Todd, thanks for being on the What Works podcast. It has been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure being with you, lad. (laughs) 